get started. Starting, as you guys know, is always the hardest part, though finishing a project is also equally uh, difficult in many ways. It's the middle part that's the easiest part. It's always hardest to start and to finish, uh, but let's get started tonight. So Shabbat Shalom, everybody. My name is Noel Joshua Havi. You guys know that, so, especially if you've been in this for three weeks now, if you figure you know where we're at. We are reading through the Book of Britain. As a quick reminder for everybody, if you you know, don't know the context of this. The Book of Britain is a, a mysterious read that originates from Great Britain, obviously. And it is associated with the teachings of Joseph of Arimathea. So quick history lesson here, the Druids. We went over in Acts 29, where uh, the, the, the missing chapter of Acts, it's not in most of your Bibles. If you own the Sefer, it is in there. And uh, Paul goes from Rome, he goes to Spain, he goes up to Britain, he swings around to Switzerland, goes back to Rome. And when he's in Britain, he meets the Druids. And the Druids actually embrace the faith of Yehusha Mashiach. They were the first to do so, really the first nation uh, in history to do so as a whole. And the Druids uh, tell Paul that they are, they are actually uh, the Yahudim and that they came from Egypt. And I don't really know if it, they're referring to the Exodus, but I'm actually under the impression that they came up from Egypt with Baruch and Yirmiyahu, that'd be Jeremiah, uh, with, with the fall of Judah under the Babylonians. They went over to Egypt and they went north. Uh, they you know, grabbed T-Tepi, the uh, princess of uh, Judah. They went up, she got married in Spain, probably. They went up to Ireland and Britain, and that's how the Druids got their start, according to Acts 29. So we, here we have in the Book of Britain, Joseph of Arimathea, he's going over with his entourage's crew, his sons, and we discuss how he's very likely, the tradition holds he's the great uncle of Yehusha Mashiach, but we were discussing in here how there seems to be a lot of likelihood that he's actually Yehusha's grandfather, which I actually really like that idea. I think that's a great uh, concept. And he uh, interacted, he went up against the Druids, gave them the faith, and they actually will refer to him in this book as the father of the faith, Yosef uh, of Rama or Joseph of Arimathea. We left off on the consensus is that we left off on chapter seven. So let's get right to this tonight. And I guess you pronounce that the Corygrasid or the Corygrasid. I'll try not to butcher too many words tonight. To you, Nathaniel, son of my brother, Will Smith, <laughs> and to Andrew, you got to love it. You know, Will Smith was in uh, ancient uh, Britain. Uh, and to Andrew, his half-brother, I leave two books of integrity and others in portions. The bare words are unimportant, but what they convey is as jewels and a crown of gold. Yet even this is not the crown itself, which should be sought in the Carnamard at uh, Nats Ladewin. And I mentioned before that a lot of these places, they you know, they just don't seem to exist anymore. They have all new names and so on and so forth. I am not an unlettered man, but I lack the virtue of subtleness in writing of things best hidden. Inasmuch as the ferocious blood seekers close in, close in upon us, and Christian folk do in their zeal deem it fit to claim for their own persons of innocent blood, persecuting them with ratchet rope and brand even into death, I charge you, my assigns, to protect the several holy books, even until your death, believing full well that evil cannot triumph over good, and the dark days of fear-born hatred will pass. Keep them secure under the most sacred oaths now forsworn. Now, I'm not sure what these several holy books are he's referring to. 
Uh, they very likely could be this one in Book of Wisdom, which we're reading, and some of the others in Colburn. There's there's several. There's there's kind of like in Colburn. There's the Old Testament portions that take place in Egypt and the whereabouts, and then there's the the, the what we would call like the New Testament portions, which deal with the teachings of Joseph of Arimathea, and and the like. The said holy books of themselves innocent fill the base hearts of our enemies with craven fear, even as the lamp-bearing lackey causes scuttling among the rats in the larder. What dire secret do they hide closeted within their breast, occasioning such terror that limbs quake when innocent wisdom is mentioned in their presence? In all the land, no place remains comfortable, and the free-spirited are as hares hunted by whippets, running into the tail-bearing wind. And they bring up hares a lot in here, if you guys remember. He actually equated hares to a, uh, a, a creature that can actually uh, connect with the spiritual world. And they say, you know, every time you see a hare, it's not without purpose. Before the dooms men come, we made our peace and can await our call to sacrifice and patience. Uh, what's happening right now is the, the, the land of Britain is under attack uh, by some... Um, uh, you know, pagans from the, the Northeast. And I'm not sure on the people groups here, but it, that appears to be happening. The jewels are safely hidden. These things which follow are found in the book of recitals. There are three adornments of life, love, truth, and beauty. There are three things of which God is the source, life, wisdom, and power. Now, right there, that's interesting because you got wisdom. You have the life is the son, Yahushua HaMashiach, wisdom is the mother, the Ruach HaKadosh, and power is the father. You have a, a, you know, you guys know I'm not a Trinitarian, but you have a trinity right there, life, wisdom, and power. There are three things which men must get from living, the greatest benefit, the greatest knowledge, and the greatest experience. So right there you have the son, the uh, mother, and the father repeated. The greatest benefit is the son, the greatest knowledge is the mother, and the greatest experience is the power. There are three causes in, in which it is fitting that men should risk their lives in establishing truth, in upholding justice, and in seeking liberty. There are three paramount qualities to which all else should be subordinate, love, truth, and good. There are three things men should place above themselves, their faith, their race, and humankind. So right there, you see, uh, we, we've talked about in this book how this book is is describing how the, the days we live in is a direct uh, confrontation and attack on this on the the values placed in this book. So this book places high value on your race, right? This is not globalism. This isn't you know we blend all people groups together. But you see right after that, now that would be oh that's racist, right? But then right after that, you see humankind is also to be placed above themselves. So even though your race and your heritage and your homeland is to be fought for and preserved, your culture, you're still placing, it doesn't mean you subdue other nations, no, it, all of humankind is still placed above yourself, right? That's the value. So we respect all of mankind, all cultures. We don't, you know, we don't tread on other cultures like, you know, the American imperialism today on, you know, uh, the Middle East and so on and so forth and really all the countries of the world. There are three things a man should value above his life and possessions, his family, his honor, his reputation. There are three principles of government. This should be good. Effective security of life and person, security of possessions and dwelling, and security of 
personal rights. If we make it to Book of Wisdom tonight, the first chapter is all about these three things right here. There are three things a government must hold inviolate, a man's family, his dignity, and his opinion. How, how does this not ring true to like the news right now that our governments, uh, I'm assuming you're, we're talking here if you're an American government, though of the other governments might do the same thing. They are attacking our family. They're trying to break up our family. They're trying to attack our dignity and, and certainly our opinions, right? They're trying to, it's a war against the freedom of speech right now. There are three things the government must provide, education, justice, and safety. Now, right, that right <laughs> this is assuming the government is not a propaganda government, right? I mean, this is like a very virtuous government that's providing education because I don't like the uh, education that our government is, um, is, is giving to our children right now, but I can uh, definitely agree under these standards. There are three pillars of the state the questing scholar the diligent craftsman and the incorruptible incorruptible official <laughs> none of this rings true to today at all um there are three unities one god one truth and one creation there are three things for which the earth exists the, this is mind-blowing guys this is i fully agree with this right here the development of souls the fulfillment of the destiny of man and the manifestation of life okay so this is this is this book and these books of Colburn, they're all about the purpose of the earth is to chastise us the idea is that the earth was created perfectly that includes its weather its snow it you know it's 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 uh arid and it's dry temperature you know deserts and it's uh it's forest and it's mudslides and it's ocean and it's you know every everything right it was created perfectly and if you if you look at at the world and you think this is all like it's not acting as it should it's because it, you're not realizing the purpose of our being here it's to it's to you know be the the earth itself mother earth is actually forming us and and changing us and refining us and testing us to see if we are worthy worthy of what well the fulfillment of the destiny of man what is the fulfillment of the destiny of man recognizing that we are pre-existent souls who were the sons of Elohim, that we fell from our state, that we rebelled at a former time. Uh, as Yehusha HaMashiach says in the books, uh, books of the Nazarene, that we became bastard sons of Elohim and that we are here to reclaim uh, our status as sons of Elohim. And of course, we are here for the manifestation of life, to, to create life so that others can come down and can be given the same test, right? The purpose of life is to live and to be tested and see if we can overcome the challenges and uh, return to our former state. And in order to do that, we have to be able to look within ourselves. And instead of, you know, casting the blame on other people, we need to look at ourselves and see if we, you know, how far have we fallen? How worthy are we? Um, you know, do we have a circumcised heart? There are three things man must give to life, beauty, stability, and harmony. There are three things women must give to life, love, goodness, and compassion. There are three things only God can do, constantly renew himself in the infinite circle of eternity, remain unchanging while impregnating every state of changeability. That's an interesting concept right there. We know that he's unchanging. The Bible tells us, you know, He's the uh, Yahushua Mashiach is the same yesterday, today, and forever, and, and the Most High doesn't change. 
but it's interesting that even though he is unchanging, he is the cause and effect of change, right? That's a really interesting concept when you really think about that. And uh, encompass everything existing. And, you know, we uh, see that in here where uh, earlier we read comments where Yahusha said that, you know, that the most high, he's he's really like, he's a part of everything. You know, that you chop open a piece of wood and he's there. It, the, the, the idea is that all material uh, things are ultimately energy and that energy originates from the, the rays of light, the energy of the creator, right? So all things emanate and come from him, including our own flesh and our, of course, our spirit and our, our soul. There are three things required of men. The ability to change that which is changeable, to accept that which is unchangeable, and to know the difference. Let me read that again. These things, it says, are required of, of men. The, the ability to change that which is changeable. So there are some things in life that we are here to change for the better, right? Not for the worse. To accept the things which are unchangeable. The things that are beyond our control, out of our hands, nothing we can do about it. And of course, to know the difference between the two. There are three virtues of maidenhood, prudence, modesty, and decorum. I like that word, decorum. It's a really pretty word. There are three virtues of wifehood, faithfulness, industriousness, and motherliness. There are three great graces, faith, hope, and love. There are three things to know about God. He must be sought for. He cannot be given anything by man which increases his greatness, and he dwells within his own law. I love that last line, right? The law of Elohim, the law of the Most High. And we know what that law is. It's the Torah. There are three rights of man, freedom to move, to enjoy privacy, and to speak his mind. So um, <laughs> the government, of course, our government is at war with all these things too, right? We've just seen this through the lockdowns. Right now, as we read this, we are being told that there might be uh, lockdowns in the coming weeks, right? So our freedom to move is being uh, attacked and violated. Uh, to enjoy privacy, we know we're being recorded, we're being watched. I mean, it's like, do we even have privacy anymore? I'd say no. And to speak his mind, that's under constant attack uh, as well with the woke crowd, with the government. There are three things God requires a man, effort, courage, and reverence for the sacred. There are three duties of women to reproduce the race, inspire mankind, and beautify life. And I think they talk about this in the Book of Wisdom. We might read tonight about uh, the duties of a wife, a woman, is to her role is, is to actually inspire uh, her husband to be a better man. And that's a, you know, that's an incredible thought. There are three duties of man to protect the race, strive for progress, and elevate humankind. There are three things which distort the soul, malice, deceits, and sensuality. And um, this is important because they will be giving a very um, uh, controversial statement coming up. Some of you will be like, that's it, I'm done. But just to note here, and we went over this last week where they, they talk about how sensuality is actually, you know, we need to recognize the difference between the needs of our body. Uh, there are like, say, sexual needs. Our body has sexual needs. I mean, that's just, that's, that's nature. That's the way Yah designed it. But then there is also the needs of our soul and that the needs of our body, if, if we tip too far into that, in that area, it dampens actually our soul, right? It, it kind of darkens it and closes it up. And so that's the, 
that's what they say right here. Sensuality, giving yourself over to that actually distorts the soul. There are three rules which govern a man's relationships with others, what he requires in another, what he forbids in another, and what he regards with indifference as being entirely the concern of another. There are three things which shatter a man's life, an unfaithful wife, invasion by foreigners, and a crippling disease. There are three principles of greatness, obedience to the law, concern for the welfare of the community, and the ability to suffer with fortitude all the blows of fate. There are three states of being, that of God in the great circle, that of the spirit in the outer circle, and that of matter in the inner circle. Now, um, so obviously, okay, so it's uh, it's it's almost like a um, like an orb. Maybe you can think of it like that. I know we think of it like a, a flat earth with a firmament, but this, this circle they're talking about, you see this a lot in the ancient world where uh, you know, you'll see like a king or something, he's holding an orb and they'll put like a cross on top of it or something like that. But the idea is, is that, you know, that the, the furthest reaches, of course, that's the existence of Elohim, uh, the most high, and that all, uh, when you get to the inner circle, right, that's where we're at. This is the, the world of the material realm. And so as further as you send up, of course, you know, you go through that. Now, I'm, I'm a little bit uh, not sure what they're all talking about, the spirit in the outer circle. They have mentioned this earlier. I don't know if they mean the Ruach HaKadosh in this, but this is something you do see in the uh, in Genesis and other places where it's, it's not the Father coming down, but it's the Ruach HaKadosh coming down, you know, hovering over the waters, uh, blowing on them, drawing them after Noah's flood, so on and so forth. We see that the, the spirit of Elohim constantly coming down. So I, I'm thinking that that's the, the, the worldview here. These are the three duties of parenthood, to protect, to cherish, and to educate the child. And of course, I would say if you're sitting, you know, I mean, it's politely, every parent needs, I'm not judging any parent, but... If I were to send my children to a government school as they stand today, I would feel like I'm not protecting uh, my child. They need to be protected at all costs. There are three duties of a child towards its parents, obedience, respect, and loyalty. Unfortunately, a lot of us probably learned that later in life, uh, not when we were children. There are three qualities of a husband, consideration, protectiveness, and care. So right there, you know, protectiveness is a given, right? We need to protect our wives. But I like the word consideration there. Of course, you're caring for your wife, right? You're caring for their physical needs. But the idea of consideration is something that, you know, a lot of women, obviously, they need, right? Because like, they feel like, you know, they're because they're, their husband is the protector and the authority, you know, and the head of the house, they don't, oh, they might not feel like they have a voice, right? Like their, their opinions matter, their emotions matter. And so it's saying like, husbands, you need to consider all these things, you know, you're protective of their emotions and their opinions and their thoughts. And you need to cherish uh, those things and make them feel like they have the freedom to, you know, express those things. There are three essentials of manhood, courage, fortitude, and honor. There are three qualities of womanhood, loyalty, decency, and gentleness. There are three jewels of womanhood, modesty, decorum, and 
uh, circumspection. And again, like the, the attack on women, I mean, the, the attack on men, obviously, right? The, you know, effeminate men, men who don't protect their families, aren't husbands, aren't fathers, right? We see this attack everywhere. But the same thing, the attack on women, right? Because we flipped it now. We're like, you know, you know, women's live and how women, they don't need man. They don't need love. You know, they're, they're their own, you know, the master of their own domain type of thing. And, you know, so we don't see the loyalty to their, 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 their husbands. Uh, we don't see decency. I mean, oh my goodness. Like guys, like I'm going to be, we spend every year, this will be our ninth year, I think, uh, ending our year in Florida. We go down there, we stay on the beach and we end up in a fifth wheel. We, we camp on the beach for three months and I'm going to be working every day in my, my window, looking at the beach. And uh, frankly, like I probably even should, should be seeing this live, but I'm going to be so sick every single day of seeing, butt. you know, it's just like, oh, look, there's more butt walking by because there's just women, you know, just wearing these thongs going down the beach, you know, and it's like, there's just no decency anymore. Like it's, it's completely out the window. There's no, like, you know, they, they don't even have an understanding of, of what it is to, you know, dress in such a way as to be a, um, uh, a genteel, uh, you know, to have a decorum. I like that word. I might use that a lot tonight, decorum. There are three prime qualities of the real man. The ability to maintain self-control, and this would, of course, be a spiritual issue with his soul, uh, you know, connecting with his soul and, and, and finding that self-control from within. The ability to remain calm under stress and provocation. Uh, side note, <laughs> that was that was my mission this last week, to remain calm under stress and provocation. I hope I pulled it off. And the ability in, in every fiber of my being I was trying to. And the ability to not stand too rigidly upon his rights. There are three things. So basically, if you have these rights, the government has bestowed upon you these rights. Don't don't just, you know, be like, oh, good. I can do whatever I want now. It's like, no, 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 no. Like, no, you have responsibilities. All right. Don't stand too rigidly upon your rights uh, or don't take them for granted. Even uh, the opposite. There are three things in men that other men hate saying one thing with the mouth while holding something quite different in the heart. Say what you mean and be truthful and honest without holding evidence in favor of another in the determent of another. And that's pure Torah right there. Do not give false uh, testimony in, in any way, shape or form against anyone and spreading scandal and gossip. There are three things that hold the state in cohesion, effective protection for everyone in the property, just punishment when due and a proper blend of punishment and mercy. There are three obligations of men in war to kill and not be killed. That seems pretty straightforward right there, right? Uh, to destroy the enemy in his possessions and to survive the onslaught. There are, there are three types of persons who cannot bear arms. A bondsman, a boy under 15, and I love this line, and a public idiot. <laughs> oh, this is, book is so good. I hope you guys are enjoying this. There are three kinds of stone of which removal is death, a cancel stone, a session stone, and a guide stone. There are three things, the punishment for which shall be greater than a simple death, killing a kinsman, killing a child or a virgin, and killing an idiot. So if you're going to kill someone, don't kill an idiot. Just let the idiots be to themselves. There are three things for which the trumpet sounds three times. The counting of heads and numbering of families, the horns of harvest, and the horns of war. There are three persons. Oh, I just lost my place. Here we are. There are three persons who can demand hospitality. 
the traveler from afar, the afflicted or orphan, and the bard. The um, the book of um, uh, oh man, what what book is it right now? The Didache. The Didache actually talks about this too. It talks about you know who you bring into your household, uh, but it specifically says that if they're like a teacher or a prophet or anything like that, that you know you they, they don't stay. I think it's like two or three days. They can't stay at your house more than two or three days. That they need to move on. There are three groups entitled to freedom of movement and maintenance. Chiefs of tribes and their retinue, uh, retinue, dru uh, druids and their followers, and judges and the retainers of their courts. There are three types who can claim citizenship. Those who bring new land under cultivation, those who work with metals, and those who bear arms. So, uh, yeah, so kind of... Um, I guess if you were a foreign citizen and you know you went and you fought in the uh, the army for a certain country, you should be able to be claimed uh, citizenship if you fulfill your duties. Uh, we you know we see similar things in like with uh, with official history with the American Revolution. If you guys remember, like I, Washington put out the proclamation that any slaves who fight for the cause of the revolution will be freedmen afterwards; will be citizens. Actually, they might have not been citizens, but they were freedmen. I, I have to check, uh, uh, fact check that, I guess. There are three basic protections. Protection of life and person, protection of possessions and dwelling, and protection of natural privileges. There are three types of, of persons who forfeit life. One who betrays his country, race, or kindred. One who kills another through viciousness, lust, or gain. And one who injures a child for life. There are three things which are in, indivisible and unchangeable, the supreme being, truth, and reality. Um, the, uh, well, it seems, I mean, honestly, it feels like a lot of reality or perceived reality has been changing as of late. Uh, it has been corrupted. Uh, we can discuss that, but obviously, you know, truth is eternal, it doesn't change, right? That there is a, a, a law of the, the, the supreme being, the most high, that never changes, his character never changes. There is one God, one truth, and one reality. There are three necessities of man. Oh, and by the way, this reality, I, I guess I could argue why reality never changes true reality is that reality emanates from the, what they would call the outer circle, right? That it all comes from the most high, from Elohim from God, and it, it you know comes out, it materializes through his energy, and so in that way it never changes. However, you know I would argue that there are some elements of our reality that are uh, changing before us, so or being corrupted below here. Um, there are three necessities of man: change, suffering, and choice. There are three tests to determine a free man. He has equal rights with every other man. He has no more obligation to the government than it has to him, and he has freedom to come and go. Wait, let me read that one more time. Some of these I need to repeat again. That was so good. So three tests to determine a free man, okay? So let's test to see if we are free today. He has equal rights with every other man. He has no more obligation to the government than it has to him. Well, that's not true. And uh, he has freedom to come and go. And, of course, that has been heavily... Uh, tested and tried and under attack as of late. There are three things essential to united nationhood. The same language. Ooh. 
Same rights for all and the same race. There are three things which are private, untouchable, and sacred to every man, his wife, his children, and his tools of trade. I like that. That was a good one. There are three persons in the family exempt from menial or heavy work, the small child, the aged man or woman, and the sick and afflicted. There are three civil birthrights, the right to free movement, the right of protection for family, possessions and liberty, and the right to equality in privilege and restriction. There are three requirements for social stability, security of life and limb, security of family and possessions, and security of traditions and culture. There are three foundations of the nation, national uh, solidarity, national courage, and national pride. There are three things a man can legally be compelled to do, fulfill his family obligations, attend a law court, and serve in the military in times of national peril. I, I mean, I really like, it's particularly that first quote there, that, that a man is legally compelled to fulfill his family obligations. And uh, man, that is like, we've, we've really dropped the ball on that one. There are three things for, for which a man can be called a traitor, a, a, uh, aiding the enemy, meekly submitting to an enemy, and betraying his race. There are three things no law can deny, water from a spring, <laughs> river or lake, <laughs> which wood from a decayed or naturally fallen tree branch and unused stone. So yeah, we should have the rights to the water is what they're saying. And there, of course, you know, there's some states like, I think like, I don't even know, honestly, what the state laws here are in South Carolina. I know there's some states where it's illegal to even collect rainwater. And it's like, really, the government, you, you own the rain too. There are three forms of sonship, a son born within a marriage a son born outside of marriage, but publicly acknowledged by the father and a son by adoption. So if the, if the man has a, a mistress, concubine, whatever, she has a child, he recognizes that as a son, that is not a bastard son, that is his legal son, he is sonship. There are three types of thieves not to be punished. A woman compelled to steal by her father or husband. That's kind of interesting. You know, she's, she's, um, it's the it's the the father and husband who are ultimately to blame, not not the the woman who is under their authority. A young child and a starving person who who steal to eat. Uh, Yahusha Hamashiach actually talked about that in the um, um, the books of the Nazarene. He actually turned the tables and he's like, look, if this if this starving person is stealing from you to eat, what's your problem? Like, why are they starving? Why aren't you feeding them? Why are you getting him in trouble for stealing something when you should be out there feeding him? So that's kind of a very different way to look at it. There are three things which must remain open and free to all. Rivers, roads, and places of worship. Ooh, did the places of worship not get closed on us uh, up two or three years ago? It is said that Alfred the Homeborn rewrote these things, but it is also said that what, what, what was is lost and he put this in. All right. And so, as you can see, there you know this is there's been many uh, cycles of of writing this book. Eight I, nobility is this the last chapter? It might be if there's a ninth one, that's fine. But we got ten pages left. We'll get through it tonight. This is awesome. Eight nobility, nobility and honor are words much abused, but in truth, nobility is not bestowed by birthright, but resides in the soul. 
how, how freeing is that, right? I mean, they're talking about, you know, we talk about, you know, in history, there was the nobility, right? Like the kings and stuff. It's like, no, 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 no. It's this isn't a birthright thing. It's not something you were born into. It resides in your soul. It's for nobility is within all of us. And honor is not a thing bartered among kings, but comes from a sense of goodness, a, the sense of goodness that can be found in all mankind. Men sell their honor for gold and nobility is conferred on those who have done nothing more than their duty. This is wrong. When titles are given as a reward of true selfless service, when he who serves his fellows well is ennobled, both giver and receiver are raised in stature and the realm benefits. When they who inherit titles also inherit the virtues which earn these, then all is well. But when he who inherits to whom they descend is unlike he who earned them, they can no longer be born with honor. Honor and nobility in their true sense are not things which can uh, inevitably be inherited. They are not in the blood. So again, you know, this is this is something for everybody. The most the, the most lowly peasants can find within himself honor and nobility and live that sort of life. The man who being without merit himself appeals to the actions of his ancestors for his justification is like a thief claiming justification in possession. So it, it, they're saying, I don't care what your family tree is. I don't care who your 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 granddaddy is. It's like you, you're, you're actually, if you're claiming nobility or, or certain uh, morality based on that, and you're actually a very immoral person, you're actually a thief. You're actually stealing from this person who you're claiming to, you know, to inherit it from. What good is it to the blind that his parents could see? Or what benefit to the death that his grandfather heard? Is this more foolish than, uh, than that a mean-hearted man should claim nobility because his forebears were noble? He's like, look, it, you, <laughs> you, you're like, you're a blind dude. You're, you're blind. It, like your grandfather or whatever could see. Like don't, don't claim, uh, you know, they're talking spiritually blind or whatever, morally blind. Like don't claim, uh, you know, his eyesight. A man who serves the people well has no need of ancestors. However true, you know, is that for us in the post-mud flood, you know, generation is we really question what is our ancestry, right? The noble, the noble mind does not derive pleasure in receiving honors, but in deserving them. Is it not better that men say, why has this man not been honored by the king? Than to ask why he has been. Ouch. Right? So, like, all these people that have been honored and shouldn't have right and it's like it's it, they're saying it's better that you were not honored and you know than to be falsely honored i speak to knights who surely of all men are the most noble eat slowly and with good manners even if alone at the table do not gulp down ale or water for food hastily eaten sits on an uncomfortable stomach but we must feed our bodies even as animals have to we are not as they and must do so with good manners. This is for all you knights of the realm out there. This is also a knightly discipline which will enhance the lights of your soul. This soul has an inner stronghold, an unassailable keep, which remains impregnable against all outside influences. It is an inner zone of silence, so that even in the most crowded street, amid the din of commerce, the hustle and hassle of everyday life and joy, sorrow, success, and failure. There is always an inner sanctuary, a place of retirement, a retreat to which one can always retire, assured that no intruder can assail anyone there. This is the citadel of the soul, against which all the tempests and turmoils of life, storms, 
many beats in vain. This is why we need such a healthy soul uh, to be in tune with our soul. Within all, within all will be serene, peaceful, and secure. And if it is well built, nothing can ever overthrow it. Loyalty is an attribute of the knightly man. It is expressed in deed and service. Be audacious in confrontation. It is a bold mouse that pulls the cat's whiskers. That's such a good line. Be renowned for what you achieve, not for what you are. The renown of a bowman is not earned by his bow, but by his aim. So there it's like, you don't, don't think of yourself as the bow, right? Don't take pride in being the bow. Take pride in the target, the aim, right? Your shot, your work, you know, achieving at your work. Do the best you can. That's that's the the attribute of, you know, uh, of a, a truly... Uh, uh, true knight, right? Those who seek to shun the battle of life because of cowardice or selfishness find that their attempts to run away are in vain, for the law compels them to engage. Because human destiny, individual and collective, is bound to the rock of the law, that which is avoided is enforced. I come before the dire days to carry a sword against evil which threaten our race and to direct the struggle of man into correct channels. Be true to yourself and answer according to your own inner knowledge. Are your God-given qualities, which all possess, marshaled to carry out the designs of God? That's uh, right there. I mean, it's there's so many parables on that, right? Like the talents, right? Uh, Elohim gives us all talents, and we all have these. Uh, and, and Yahushua said that earlier in the book. He's like, look, whatever your gift is, whatever your talent is, live that out okay don't be trying to be something you're not live that out and but it has to be for uh, directed for the uh, empowerment of the kingdom of elohim and not for your own kingdom right the rallying call has sounded and it echoes in every responsive heart arm yourself for the fray with the god-given powers within align them to fight on the side of good the call has gone out and the inner forces of every real man are required to rally to the cause of humankind. If everyone in the world would rally their own special forces within and throw these into the battle on the side of good, the earth would overflow with goodness. Men and women are apathetic. Instead of taking up the sword against evil, they stand aside like uh, menials. So evil grows, and the main cause of the present sorry state of the people is man's lack of fighting spirits. In war, it is the cause that counts, and it is not enough to resist evil. It must be attacked. When you have conquered the weakness within yourself and assumed full control, you are a true knight, ready to go out and fight. And of course, you know, one of the, the sayings with, you know, knights is, you know, the, the search for the Holy Grail is to know yourself, right? That's the true quest. The trumpet has sounded and the rallying cry rings out. So do not seek the place of protection. Do not hesitate in this traumatic hour. Say not that these things foreshadow things in days far ahead or that they are residue from the past. Cease all disagreement among yourselves. Unite as comrades in arms. There will, of course, be arguments and differences, but be men enough not to let them divide you. We are in our present sorry state because of past disunity and disobedience to the law. 
So, wow, that just rings so true. I mean, we are in our state, guys, today because of transgressions of the law, uh, uh, rebellion, disobedience to the law, to the Torah, right? We are in the diaspora today. However you slice and cut, dice it. We are in the diaspora. And, and then what do we see happening? We are in disunity with our brothers, right? We are constantly nitpicking and fighting and find, you know, finding ways to separate and suffer. Uh, and that's how the enemy divides us, right? And, and wins, which causes us not to take up arms, not to fight in unity, that kind of stuff. Do not allow the knights of right to be disarmed and fight against the realm of darkness. It is a manifesting. So it's really interesting here, guys, how they're like talking about like the, these physical knights. Like I'm getting something very physical in all this because they're talking about your family life and, you know, picking up actual swords and stuff like that. And but they're talking about the realm of darkness. It is a manifesting that kingdoms divide against themselves or destroyed by more united forces. Yet it is not the kingdom of God divided. Yet is not the kingdom of God divided against itself. Truth and faith are the handmaidens of love. They bring confidence. And how can a man stand steadfast unless he has confidence? For in confidence is strength. The qualities of knighthood are such that those who have them, those who have them, can look the world in the eye. They have no furtive deeds to hide within, where they eat away at night's integrity. Praise no day until nightfall, no wife until she is buried, no sword until bloodied. No maid until married, and no ale until drunk. Never be a talebearer, for this is despicable in a man. Persons who within themselves are really enemies often come garbed as friends. Pay attention to this one. And among these are the following. He who takes little care to hide his intentions to rob or violate and does it brazen-faced. He who gives a little with the intention of getting much back in return. He who puts on a friendly front out of fear and he who acts friendly to serve his own ends. The man with the will-greased mobile tongue can be distinguished in this manner. He is inclined to talk much about himself and his past accomplishments, or he will fill your ears with boast about his future deeds. He assails your ears with empty words and with the sweet draught, uh, droughts of flattery. Walk wearily or warily. Walk warily, for these are false fronted friends, and when their friendship is put to the test, it falls apart like rotten wood. When called upon for assistance in time of need, they plead their own misfortunes and handicaps as excuses for standing aside. The smooth-tongued hypocrite glosses over the misdeeds of others. He excuses un unworthiness and sings your praises before your face, in your hearing, but reviles you behind your back. Avoid all such as these, for their friendship is worthless. There's, there's so much of this going on online in all the different ministries. Uh, and uh, this happens time and again. Like, there's a repeated pattern I found just talking to others as well in different ministries that, like, the people who are about to go out and do hit pieces and attack them publicly, like, they often, there's these trends where they are like, they are smooth talking to you right beforehand. They come up to you and they, they act like they're your friend and they say sweet things to you. And then boom, you know, they, 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 they get you below the belt. The other to avoid is the wastrel. I should have looked up the meaning of that word beforehand. I apologize. I don't know what a wastrel is, but let's find out. He will be a pleasant companion in the drinking parlors. He will be your um, amiable companion in the places of pleasure. 
where there is gaiety and laughter. He will be a charming companion at feasts and festivals. He will be quick to suggest gambling and dissipation and all things that lead to sloth. Okay, I guess that's a wash roll. I have heard that word before. That's kind of ringing a bell now. I felt like I like like in a. It sounds like a word from like an old Christmas carol, you know. Here are the earmarks of a true-hearted friend. He will help you when help is really needed and requires real sacrifice on his part. He remains unchanged amidst the fluctuations of fortune. So he goes from uh, poor to rich, and he's not like, you know, I mean, he's the same guy you knew when he had nothing, right? He is the one who is not afraid to tell you what is for your own good. And, of course, a lot of, you know, uh, people who are masked, you know, false friends, they will to say things that just, you know, aren't true, right? But, you know, who are the people around you uh, who are actually trying to speak into your life and tell you the things you may not want to hear, but they do it because they love you, right? And mostly those people get shunned, but those are the people that we really should be listening to, not the, not the people telling us what we want to hear. He is the one who declares his friendship and loyalty in the company of those who condemn you. And, of course, loyalty is not a virtue today at all. Uh, very few loyal people. True friends are few and are treasures indeed. A true friend watches over you when you falter on the way, right? They, they don't watch you like falter and like, that's it. We're going <laughs> to new YouTube video right here. Let's go track, you know, take this guy. We, we saw him stumble. We're, we're going to go take this guy out. He keeps a watchful eye on your property and interest when you're indisposed. He is your refuge in times when you are in fear and your consolation in distress. He is your reassurance in doubt. He never deserts you in need. A true friend tells you his secrets and never under any circumstances re reveals yours. So you can confide in him and you know that he's not going to reveal your secrets. He never forsakes you in times of trouble and would sacrifice almost anything for you. In earthly armies, rules and commands must be obeyed. There is no other way to conduct a campaign. It is so in the army of good. Each and every man can rise by his own efforts and perseverance. Be as ready to take orders as to give them. For no man has the qualities of leadership who cannot also obey. All, you know, maybe a good, you know, a good indicator if, if, if you're not a leader is, are people following you, right? And I love that. I mean, just like, are you able to, uh, obey others? Are you able to play by the rules, right? You're not going into other groups and just like, you know, you know, nobody, you know, you can't handle the truth. You know, I'm just going to act in a certain way. And, you know, I'm just being persecuted right now. It's like, okay, clearly you're not a leader. You can't even, you know, obey, uh, the house rules, right? You can't, you're coming in and, um, uh, in contempt of other ministries, right? So, it's the same thing here. All soldiers in the Holy Army, so we're talking about the Holy Army of the Most High here, must be well disciplined. How otherwise can the battle be won? If we falter in this, the infidel and heretic will prevail and the long, weary journey be abortive. Be ever loyal to your comrades placed in authority. Trust them and change only when, by direct and personal contact and knowledge, you find them false and wanting. True friendship is the greatest of all gifts. In the courts and castles of the land, women, as apart from ladies, because of their physical weakness, have been made to appear of lesser importance. But a true knight, while honoring ladyhood, treats all women with respect and chivalry. 
It is chivalry, which distinguishes our, our times from all others. I need a cup of coffee here real quick while I think about that. Excuse me. A true knight is decorous at all times and circumspect in the presence of women folk, for he honors the delicacy of their ways. So, you know, don't be crude around the ladies. Treat them as, as you know, with the dig with dignity. And oh, oh decorum, right? You gotta put that in. Treat, treat women with decorum. Always, however, womanliness is required to respond to and foster the chivalry in men. A mannish-mannered woman is the declared enemy of chivalry. A knight embodies the criteria for manhood. He concentrates on mannish things and mannish ways. He does not meddle in the affairs of womankind. A true lady is a rare and lovely jewel. What the word lady means is hard to define, but one meaning is that a lady is a woman in whose private presence a man acts with, there is a decorum and reserve. He shields her from uh, crudity and lewdness. And I think that what that's saying here is that, and this is something for like husbands to think about with your wives that, you know, men, like even with movies, all right, if we wanna bring movies into this, men and women process things differently. And I think men are able to, you know, think about like, we think about like war scenarios and, you know, you know, killing and, you know, defending the homeland, you know, things like that, right? Like things they're talking about here. These are things that, you know, we think about and we, um, you know, weapons and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, sometimes like, you know, some of these things are, they're not for women, right? And, you know, they could be insulting and that kind of stuff. And it's like saying, look, just treat them with that respect of womanhood and protect that. And there's something that's, you know, men, they maybe will do amongst other men, you know, like act stupid and, <laughs> You know what I'm saying? Like, you know, play war games or whatever it is they're doing. And just, you know, let a woman be a woman. All right. So shield her from that. A knight under, think of like the, uh, like the old movies, like the Westerns and, you know, like, you know, men, you know, they're like, there's a woman present. So you don't say crude language, that kind of stuff. A knight understands the economy of life. It is too easy, too long for a certain conclusion, perhaps that the suffering of a loved one will end. However, it may be a case where one in, in, where only endurance and fortitude will heal and benefit the spirit. Pain purifies and strengthens, and sometimes it is better to suffer than to sleep. True knighthood demands not only nobility of spirit, but also nobility in attire and manners. It is an attitude towards others. The duties of man to man are almost as important as those of man to God. Where, well, of course, it, the man to God is more important, right? But they're saying it's almost as important, but not as important. Where the obligations entail the stewardship of God's earthly estate. Man chooses as he will, and it is entirely up to him whether or not he does a thing. Of what benefit is a high position to a man who uses the power he has over the lives of others only for the purposes of boosting his own arrogance and false pride, who uses it only for his own pleasure and not to serve others? God has given man shepherds to guide him and indicate the path. But these shepherds cannot of themselves alone gain such leadership and guidance unless inspired by the spirit of God. Man must be guided according to his spiritual needs and not according to his worldly needs. 
Therefore, God has ordained a, a means whereby these shepherds may be found. And he has told them what to teach the people and what manner to accord with their understanding and acceptance. The way is complex as can be seen through these writings. All right, I think this is the last chapter, chapter nine, Shards of Wisdom. In the days when Lucius Chlorus was named King Cole, and this is, and lived at uh, Carcolwin, and a guy, uh, a guy named Innis, Innis Vorwin, Innis, Innis Vorwin, butchered that either way, served the good Queen Helena. Okay, so quickly, I told you guys that it, it appears that this was uh, perhaps written just after the days of King Cole. This is the same King Cole of old King Cole's Merry Old Soul, right from Mother Goose. And he, um, his daughter, according to the British, was Queen uh, Helena or Helena. Who is she? She is the queen who married Constantine, Constantine, the, the Emperor Constantine. And, uh, and from her to her husband's Cambord, by whose hands these things were written. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. That wasn't her husband. It was her son. I, I quoted that wrong. So let me quote that again. Queen Helena was the uh, the father. Uh, the, the fa I'm messing up. Today. The mother of Constantine. So Constantine, according to this, would be the grandson of King Cole through the, the matriarch. By whose hands these things were written came words of wisdom. There is that which is old and that which is new. But old and, and new are one in the eye of time. And so they're saying the bulk of this uh, came from a writer who, uh, uh, oh yeah, so from her to her husband, Cambord. By, so wait, uh, if I'm reading this right, they're saying that Queen Helena's husband wrote these things, okay? So, and they're only, they're about 300 years after Joseph of Arimathea. Therefore, that which is first might be that which was written last. For now, among the pieces, none knows which should be where. So they're telling you that all this book of Britain was in these different fragments, and we've seen them in fragments, and they were kind of pieced together. They don't know in what order it should totally go in. And truth, none knows when these things were written, but what has just been said was found as a broken piece, and where else could it be fit? Or where else could it be? Of the Druids, it is said that pair... Caridwin, the cauldron of higher love, represented to them the womb, and that the fire with which it was associated was the life force. It is said that the representation was in more than one form, but what this means, no one, none now know. To become a druid required immersion in a bath with a uh, deduction from the cauldron. After immersion for a prescribed time, the residue from the bath infused with the man's evil was poured into a pit. His spirit was thus cleansed and renewed, but henceforth any wrongdoing would have a twofold effect. A band of troubadours, being people who held some secret of life, came to Britain in the days when England was Saxonized. They had a secret book said to explain all the mysteries of life, but the book itself explained little. Yet they who followed the secret book became the wisest among men. Written words, when read without thought, are valueless, and this is how most men read. Troubadours have a secret place in the Ogmosian hills. Emmer said the people are entitled to the consideration and care of the rulers who direct their days. Men are entitled to the peace of the plow unless their lands and families are under threats. No man who is a man slumbers under threats, and the reward of the warrior is tranquility in old age. So basically saying, look, if, if your homeland is under threat, you know, pick up a weapon and fight. Don't just, you know, 
fall asleep. The foolish man who sacrifices his peace of mind and happiness to seek wealth is like a man who sells his home to buy furniture. If there is anything more powerful than fate, it is the courage that bears whatever fate decrees unshaken. The dispensations of life favor the courageous man. Within the wider world, responsible procreation and selectivity play a spiritualizing role, while on another level, they uh, preserve the diverse racial and cultural heritages. Racial pride is a positive quality which has nothing to do with racial prejudice. You get that? So it doesn't mean you're a racist if you have, you know, if you're trying to secure your race. It doesn't mean you have to eliminate your race so you're not a racist. Like that's the stupidest thing you can do, right? Pride without prejudice should be the watchword. Thus it is written, they who inherit and inhabit the kingdom in which irresponsible procreation is condoned prepare for themselves a path of degeneration and, and this is what we're seeing with globalization right you guys see this out there i mean where they're just mixing up all different people groups and they're they're pushing them and they're killing heritage and they're actually this is the way that they collapse society it's one of the ways where they can they can kind of uh you know create this new world order that they want to do by by killing uh national heritage they do not hold human sexuality sacred, enshrining it in the family and placing it in the guardianship of women. They do not honor the mistress of the house as the vigilant guardian of their racial heritage. The worship of ancestors sprang naturally from the pride and reverence in which people held their forebears. It in indicated their gratitude and understanding for the sacrifices the ancestors made in being selective and responsible. When the selection of a marriage mate can be left to the sense of responsibility in the couple primarily concerned, then civilization has taken a big step forward. But who is wise enough to determine when this wisdom is present and expressed? Where are those prepared to uphold responsible breeding habits? And he's basically saying here is that like uh, most people are, you know, not, uh, you know, have a very difficult time choosing the right uh, spouse. As found written, these are the accomplishments of a lady. She should learn the following, cutting, sewing, and making garments, the arraying of garments and uh, adornment of the body, the toilets of the hair, those are two great words put together, toilet of the hair, and the arts of hair braiding, the arts of motherhood, housewifery and cooking, the preservation of fruits, meats, and herbs, the growing of flowers and herbs, the stinging of necklaces and the making of ornaments, the making of pottery and the preparation of perfumes and ointments, singing if she have a sweet voice and melodious speech, writing and drawing with paints, those are all you artists out there, you lady artists, the art of archery with the little bow and small swordsmanship. So there you go, ladies. You learn the uh, art of archery and swordsmanship. But Make sure it's a you know small swordsmanship, not those big old you know, uh, you know, whatever those huge Scottish swords, those Highlander swords. The knowledge of jewels, the making of lace and knitting of wool and weaving, the use of herbs and simple and small leechcraft. So you, you ladies, you know, you can hide a, a sword, a little knife there in your dress, you know, and surprise the men when they try to come on you. Her teacher in the ways of life should be her mother's sister. Should she be married or a sister who is married or a female friend of her mother who is of long standing and in good grace with her mother, 
or a female tutor or female nurse who is attached to the family. I, I, I think this is, I don't know why they're making such an emphasis on not the mother. Uh, I find this a little confusing, uh, but um, certainly whoever this teacher is, it should be another woman teaching the young lady and uh, it, uh, of high reputation in the family, right? High reputation amongst the mother, her sister, her good friends, so on and so forth. Concerning women, there are pretty maids and maids, both of these categories being virgin, unmarried matrons, wives, widows, cast out women, women of no repute, and harlots. A woman living as married but not actually married is not inviolate, nor is an unmarried matron. Those may be sought for pleasure. I told you there'd be a, a verse in here that's going to spin some heads. An unmarried matron, having been enjoyed by others, is available for a man's pleasure. What they're just what they're saying here is that according to this, there are some women who are allowed to be set aside for those purposes. So we can discuss this afterwards if you guys would like. And if you don't want to discuss it, that's fine. We don't have to. These women are not to be touched in lust. A mad woman, so keep away from the mad women. A woman with running sores, so she's unclean. A woman with child and a wife. Uh, no child should be touched in lust. A man shall not display his nakedness before his daughter, nor a mother before her son. I mean, that's straight out of Torah right there. After the days of Imris, it, is, it was written, never give up. Where there is a will, there is a way. While there is life, there is hope. Never leave your friend in the lurch, but support him with might and main. Do not be half-hearted or run with the hare or chase with the hounds. There it is again, running with the hare, you know? It's, it's like a spiritual connection there. Those are things said in our days. These are the qualities and attributes of trees. This is where, you know, I just love this weird stuff right here. So these are the qualities and attributes of trees as revealed by the ancient lore of our fathers. The, er, the usage whereof is known to the wise, the providing apple, the winsome cherry, the soporific ivy, the comforting elderberry, the, the holy oak, the sorrowful willow, the compassionate ash, the protective yew, the happy birch, the co companionable holly, the lively hawthorn, the mystic hazel, the sedate pine, the wish-granting uh, sallow, the healing heather, the age-consoling alder, the youth-giving way-withy, the generous broom, the helpful furs, the spirit-strengthening beech, the soothing windrake, the laughing aspen, the gentle juniper, the reliable wayfaring bean, the cunning hornbeam, the flight gadberry, the ominous dogwood, the jumping buckthorn, the lighthearted maple, the direful slaythorn, the angry parbeam, the willful cartac bush, the haunted banbeam, and the frightened witch beam. They who are one with the trees understand the nature of the life within them and make much of such things. There is a mystery here to be worked by those with understanding, but to others it will be meaningless. What they're basically saying here is that there is something deeper going on spiritually with these trees. Some people get it. Very few people get it. They are, uh, they make much of it, but if you don't get it, it's not worth explaining to you because you're not going to care anyways. It's going to be meaningless to you. So basically it's like, if you want to seek these mysteries out, 
you know, seek them out. These are the useful herbs to be found in field, forest and wayside in the days gone by. Wolfbane, which guards against wolves and dogs. Barrowweed, which grows only near the dead. Harwort, which we eat. Tinker, there's Tinkerbells, Tinkerbell for you. A wayweed, skullcap, feather flowers, which cure the stone. Blackberry, sundew, deadly, deadly dick. Uh, sounds like, like a nickname for uh, Richard Dixon. Uh, Cylindine, which cures the piles. Windweed, moonflower, which works a spell. A witch head, called black spear. Asp root, uh, drug balm, which brings sleep. Witchbane, which is put above the door. Hawflowers, ellenberry, wimberry, draught sweets, elf eye, fairy fern, witch whispers. There's a lot of witches in these. Uh, these uh, plants here, quicken bush, sour seed, which purges, bard berry for lovers. There you go, for lovers, there's some bard berry for you. Uh, amaranth, it never fades, windflower, ghoul flower, weg, weg rig, bladder bud, which heals all wounds, uh, a lavender shade, lake on leaf. So, where can I get some bladder bud at my local uh, <laughs> corner store? It heals all wounds. Uh, Hoken Mill, Real Weed, Boonberry, Hathers Wed, which women use. Uh, women only use Hathers uh, Wed, or that could be Hathers Weed. I'm not sure. SS Lip, Fuller's Wart, uh, Witherin Weed, which makes blue dye. Can Weed, which quiets the heart. Mace Lip, Coto Creeper, Slandless, Sued, which cures men of madness. Mothen. I wonder if a sued, if it cures men of madness, if that like kills um, a parasites. Mothen, which only grows on cliffs. Arclacine, daft uh, blouder, which cures stomach sickness. Malbrig, maizebell, which heals the stomach. Morboweed, or mor morboweed, which soothes burns. Cellarweed, which gives visions. Whoa. <laughs> There's some weed for you. It the it gives uh, gives visions. Uh, Tyan wed, which heals the skin. King cock, which makes a brew. Cowslip way uh, way uh, broad. Satyrion, which overcomes impotency. For all the uh, aging knights out there, you want some uh, uh, Satyrion. Uh, Dwell corn cockles, which men call tares. Docum dick which gives men virility and only grows under the shiver tree. So some of you men might want to consider the docum dick. These things serve well, but some are lost to the knowledge of men. Bummer. <laughs> sounds, like, sounds like there's a lot of knowledge there. I don't think we have any of that. Any, uh, you know, that might have, if some of you might be able to tell me afterwards, like, hey, yeah, I know exactly what that is. I, I'm, uh, I'm having fun reading this, but I don't get all that in that paragraph right there. So, okay, let me try start again. These things serve well, but some are lost to the knowledge of men. Herb beer made of yarrow and river sweet soothes the spirits of men. Red clover cures the small cancer. Hmm. If the suffering one be a man of self-control. Hmm, I, okay, that, that one is kind of interesting. The herb called mothin is drunk with milk at childbirth. Sickness is first a malady of the mind. 100% true. Sickness is first on the lady of the mind. Okay, wow, that's the end of the book right there. So 
that was good. I hope you guys enjoyed that. And uh, rather than discussing it, I want to go straight into – get a little bit better light here. Go straight into the Book of Wisdom. I am going to uh, – I already dropped this in here for you guys starting out. But um, here it is again, Book of Wisdom. And uh, let's get right into it. I, I, I love Book of Wisdom. Like, however fun and, and, and incredible uh, Book of Britain was to discover and read, this one is just going to blow your guys' mind. I mean, it when it when it says Book of Wisdom, it, it doesn't disappoint. Like, this is a Book of Wisdom. It's not a Book of Semi-Wisdom or Little Wisdom or Maybe Wisdom or Let's Discuss It Wisdom. Like, this is some seriously wise uh, or uh, not wise guy wisdom either, you know, not wise cracks. This is like the book of wisdom. 